This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. This is Pam Shriver. This is Yannick Noah. Hey, y'all. This is Carol in South Carolina, and you're listening to and dancing to the theme song of The Tennis Podcast. Well, hello, folks, and thank you to Carol Allen, who you heard beautifully introducing the show there and suggesting that people might be dancing along to the theme music, which is, quite frankly, something that had never occurred to me before. So thank you, Carol, for that lovely mental image. I'm here, Catherine Whitaker. Matt's here. And when I say here, I mean here, here. Hello. Yes. Physically in the same room, recording a podcast together for the first time in a few months. In the flesh. Uh, Disappointingly, David Law is not here. Now, that was planned. David Law uh, had booked a much needed holiday. We were all very excited and pumped for David Law taking a holiday, getting a tan, uh, getting some rest and relaxation. He was under strict orders not to look at his phone uh, until the evenings. Yeah, not to send a single tweet while he was away. Oh, those were very strict instructions. Um, and he was he was acquiescing to all of it. Holiday law was in motion. And then holiday law tested positive for COVID-19. Now, I know a lot of people um, have had a rough old time of it with COVID-19. Uh, it's been it's been a bit of a blight on our lives uh, for the last couple of years, hasn't it? Safe to say. But for David Law, he's had a he's had the rough end of the COVID nineteen uh, stick, hasn't he? And he deserves a break. And um, we are desperately hoping uh, that he can test negative in time to still get somewhat of a holiday. Uh, that he so desperately needs and deserves. So we're we're sending positive vibes to David Ifami, aren't we, Matt? We are, yes. And we know he's listening to this. So positive vibes, David. David is absolutely listening to this. He is. He's checking up on us, isn't he? David listens to ones that he's already recorded. He definitely listens to ones that he's not on. <laughs> he does. Um, he's feeling okay, folks. Um 
touch wood that continues to be the case um but i'm sure he will appreciate you sending positive vibes into the universe and fingers crossed the next time we record a podcast he will be uh, on his way to getting a tan uh billy jean isn't here right now she has been here uh, she fawns over matt so much uh that i had to book her into daycare for the day in order to get this podcast recorded quite frankly or else matt would not have any had any hands free to record the microphone <laughs> uh, to, to hold the microphone rather yes it was it's been lovely seeing billy jean i I wandered in yesterday from Craven Cottage, which is about 45-minute walk from here, having seen Fulham just lose to Coventry. wasn't a great afternoon, but as soon as I saw Billie Jean, things were better. I, I, I need Billie Jean in my life after a Fulham defeat all the time. Yeah, get the violins out for Matt. That's <laughs> just about your sort of second defeat of the season or something. Anyway, anybody that's considering having some football-related sympathy with Matt Roberts, I'll stop you in your tracks right there. He's he's fine, folks. <laughs> D- divert your sympathy elsewhere. Uh, right then, it's time to talk about tennis. It's been a bit of a bit of a bitty week on tour. There are a few nice stories speckled around. We've obviously had Monte Carlo get underway. The the first of the big men's clay court tournaments, we've actually got it on the screen in front of us right now. It's it's getting off with a bang with Fabio Fanini and Arto Rindikinesh. Although actually it started yesterday, didn't it? It's a, it's a Sunday start event um, is Monte Carlo. We'll be talking about that and previewing the tournament and the clay court season in general in due course, but we'll we'll deal with the past first and events that we saw um, last week on the tennis calendar. And the two biggest uh, were in Charleston on the WTA and in Houston uh, on the ATP Tour. And we had two first-time clay court champions in Belinda Bencic and Riley Apelka. Not two names, Matt, that I associate with clay court tennis. No, definitely not. Um, and I think we should probably start with Belinda Bencic, with Charleston being being the slightly bigger event. And no, I really don't associate her with Clay. She's now won a title on every surface, so she's you know she she is an all court player. Um, but I also don't associate her with being like an amazing fighter on court. And that, that that's probably a bit unfair. That probably is just an illustration of how you can you can pigeonhole players a little bit and her game style is so smooth and so easy on the eye that that is what I think of when I think of Belinda Bencic. But actually this week she showed what a brilliant competitor she is. She had a lot of really tough matches. I think she was a couple of couple of points away from defeat even in the very first round. She had to fight through a host of really Good players and good performances, Barossa, and then the final against Ons Jabur in particular. She had to really fight, and on a surface which doesn't necessarily suit her game, even though she's got a great tennis IQ, and I think Clay perhaps does bring out some of that and some of that strategy that, that she can employ. So really, really impressive week from, from Bencic, sort of continuing on from what she showed in Miami, which again is something I don't necessarily associate with Bencic. I sometimes think of her as having isolated great weeks, but at the moment she's in in a really, really great bit of form. And yeah, this was this was a really impressive title for her. She celebrated big, didn't she? It was quite it seemed like quite an emotional 
emotional victory for her. Ons Jabeur wanted it desperately, didn't she? Of course, she has got over that hump of winning her first title, but you know that was last year. She wants she wants more. That was you know ticking off a milestone, and I think she referenced that in her social media post afterwards, didn't she? Saying you know that's been a, f- a few sort of heartbreaking final losses now, and you know she, there were moments in that in that uh, final, obviously particularly after Jabeur won that won that second set where it really felt like she was on a roll and she was, you know, hitting some absolutely dreamy shots, wasn't she? And celebrating them big, you know, really sort of getting in Benchich's face and saying, I'm the one with the momentum here. I'm the one that wants it the most. And as you said, the the hunger of Benchich to wrench it away from her was very impressive. But Jabeur's hungry too, isn't she? Yeah. Is she in a similar place to Sakari at the moment, Jabir? Like, mm. doing a lot of winning in terms of matches has improved her ranking so much. But you look at her, you look at both career records, they've both only won one title. Jabir in Birmingham, was it, last year? And Sakari, I think, Rabat a few years ago, 250 titles. Feels like their careers deserve more than that. It feels like they should have won more than that. And yet, there's probably a reason why they haven't. They, they're just not quite getting over the line in tournaments. Um, but yeah, they're both great players to watch. They're both hungry. They both want it so much. Uh, and they're both, you know, top, top players. But getting over the line in tournaments is proving a little bit tricky for both of them. I sort of group them together in my mind a little bit at the moment for that reason. I'm getting on to the what does this mean mm-hmm. section of the Benchich discussion now. Is she in the category of player like, you know, Yelena Ostapenko, where it's pointless having the what does this mean discussion? Because she won Olympic gold last year and she was brilliant and it didn't really mean anything other than Belinda Benchich now always has an Olympic gold medal in her draw and that's amazing for her career and I'm really happy for her but in terms of what it means for tennis I feel not that the the landscape didn't shift at all and I feel in a similar position now it doesn't really change how I feel like she might challenge at the French Open for example. No I know exactly what you mean I, I have the same thing watching Benchik. I enjoy it in the moment and I think, oh, what's gonna be next? And 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 that's probably that's probably unfair, but that has been, I suppose, the story of her career a little bit. I think I think what it means for Benchik is that she's physically strong again. You know, mm. she, she she's had a tough start to the year. She had she had COVID and long COVID perhaps even it because it lingered afterwards. She was she was physically not at her best at the start of the season. Well as I said, she had a lot of tight, tough, physically demanding matches in Charleston, same as she did in Miami. That's back-to-back weeks where she's put together really strong performances. So sort of short-term, it means she's back in a really good place, and that's that's positive. But I'm not making any any Benchik <laughs> predictions for if the Claypool season. If David were here, he'd be making wild Benchik predictions, predictions, wouldn't he? Um, didn't he pick her to win Miami? Yes, that's right. Because of the head-to-head with, with Osaka, Osaka and they were on a semi-final collision course, of course, Osaka turned that one round, just as just as Benchik did actually to Badosa. Again, that was another reason why that was such an impressive win, because Badosa led that head-to-head 3-0, I think, going into that, and including one in Charleston last year. So for Benchik to flip that was, was another reason why this was just such a 
such a big week for her. Yeah, now st- staying on that for a moment, as as the person responsible for compiling um, and composing the newsletter, Matt, you know that I, I've i gone big on Paola Badosa in 2022. I no longer really ask what Catherine wants to predict <laughs> every week. It's just Paola well, Badosa, please. But, but now I'm in a situation where the week that I don't pick her will be the week that she wins, obviously. So I feel really like I've just got to stay... Stay committed, you know. Like yeah. you're at a you're at a blackjack table, and you've gone black, and it. I mean, I'm. Ob- you can clearly tell from the way I'm doing <laughs> this analogy. I have never in my life been at a blackjack table, but I hope you you know where I where I was going with that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've picked her. What I picked her to win the Australian Open, but basically, since I watched her play in Sydney when she was amazing, when she was amazing um i've picked her to win pretty much everything and she's played some good tennis since then hasn't she it's not it's been a good solid year i mean she you know she had the chance to become world number one in miami but it hasn't been quite right i don't think by the new standards by which we judge paula bedosa it hasn't been quite right and she did she did put out um a post um in the last 24 hours saying she's um, not going to be in the team for, for Spain's uh, Billie Jean King Cup tie that's upcoming um, because, and she references very vague physical and medical problems that she's been struggling with. Now, that's too vague for us to really analyse. And, you know, she, she came very close to beating the eventual champion Belinda Bencic last week. So it's hopefully not something serious but what I'm coming around to here Matt is you know the reason that my many Bedosa predictions haven't come true is that she's not quite right physically there's something going on are you willing to validate that for me yes I think so and now she's put out this statement I sort of go back over some of the results she's had this year and recently in Miami she really was struggling. She she won a match when she was ill. She then pulled out against Jessica Pagula in the quarterfinals. And, you know, she, she's gone to Charleston. She's tried to play there. She had a good week. She won a couple of matches, lost the eventual champion. But I think it's good good for her that she's decided to take a break, like just stop and try and get anything underlying sorted out and feel better physically. Because this should be the time of the season where, okay, she's not cleaning up because... She's got Sviontek. She's got a lot of good players who can play on clay. But you sort of feel like clay still is Bellos's best surface or should be her best surface with the way she plays. Mm. Makes so much sense for her game. Um, so hopefully she can she can overcome that. But it does it does offer an explanation as to why the results maybe haven't quite been what we thought they might be or what you think they might be every week. <laughs> I can at least have a week off from picking Paula Bedosa. Thank, thank you for for that relief, Paula. Um, so a title for Belinda Bencic in Charleston, her first on clay, and a title for Riley Pelka in Houston, his first on clay. He beat John Isner six three, seven six in the final. Now we have some disclosing to do here. Neither Matt or I watched that final. Um, and not because we were unable to or, I, I mean, just straight up dereliction of duty that we completely own. Um, it was it was watching that or watching the final round of the Masters and 
We watched the final round of the Masters and I think we feel pretty okay about that choice, Matt. In the words of Matt Roberts about 12 hours ago, the listeners don't need us to tell them what happened in Apelka Isna. Although I was surprised that there was a break of serve. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see it coming. We don't, we don't know how that happened. Uh, yeah, 6376, there was a break of serve in the opening set. Um, I'm sure highlights are available somewhere if, if you'd like to know exactly how Apelka broke the Isna serve. <laughs> I'm imagining, I reckon there was a double fault in that game. What do you think? Oh, do you reckon? Yeah, I yeah, do. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Actually. Otherwise, they're not getting near enough no. enough returns. Yeah, no, that, that's a good call, actually. Yeah, what do you think? Juice, tense juice game or a break to love? No, tense juice game. Yeah, yeah. A, a, th- a thrashed return winner, forehand down the line. Yeah, just connect with one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. and then the second set, folks, was a tie break. Correct. So, yeah, um, it, it, it's interesting how Apelka always beats Isner. I think he's won the last five. I mean, ooh. they've genuinely all been tie breaks. I think most of those sets. So it's you know there is nothing between them. But God, that's got to be tough for Isner, hasn't it? Always uh, losing to sort of I don't know Isner two point I guess. And Apelka kind of is Isner two point He he is he is a better version of his no he's better from the baseline I think generally and actually I think he he got to the semis in Rome last year Apelka like he can can play on clay and I think the slow surface probably does help his return actually um maybe not against Isner but certainly against other players he just gets that more time on the ball but I think it's it, it's interesting to think of Apelka as as a better Isner. Like he's having better results younger as well. I always think Isner and Karlovic took a bit of time to maybe get mm. the best results of their career, which is weird because you think, well, how much how much figuring out of that game is there? <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's so obvious what, what their game is. But actually I I do think it takes these big servers a bit bit of time to to develop, whereas Apelka has developed quicker. But like Isner, I still associate him with doing best in America or in North America anyway, he got to the Canada final, didn't he? Most of his results have been in the US or in Canada so far, his best results. And that's the same with Isner. So I think if there's going to be more of a development from Apelka, it's kind of this time of year where Isner's never really committed to clay that much. He's never had results on the clay. But Apelka, Apelka might be able to do that, I think, because... As I said, he is better off the ground than Isner. So I'm, I'm interested to watch Apelka. Well, I'm interested to see Apelka's results on the clay court season. That's for sure. He uh, he beat Nick Kyrgios in the semi-finals. did, did Riley Apelka. Um, but can take no credit for that because apparently that, that, uh, that defeat was the umpire's fault, Matt. Of so course. A, a tournament victory for Riley Apelka with assist... With an assist for uh, for the umpire, um, what can you say? Do you want to say anything? <laughs> See discussion from last week, probably yeah. the week before, maybe even the week before that. Has Kyrgios got a fine every tournament he's played this year? It feels like it. Did he, did he get one for, for I, Houston I last he, week? Because he certainly got Indian Wells and Miami yeah. fines back to back, and absolutely rightly so. And again, he's doubled down on it on Twitter. Umpires seem to make these mistakes a little too often. A lot of players seem dissatisfied with the performance of them this week in Houston. More punishment, potentially new umpires. 
It's just so tired, isn't so it? So it's it's yeah, it's it's he he can't take responsibility and, for losing. And, so and, it has to be someone else's fault. And by all accounts, the umpire did make yeah a bad call. Sure, but absolutely, Nick this is not how you deal with it. Nick b- Kyrgios plays bad, bad match, shots. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that's that's Nick Kyrgios. He took care of uh, David's prediction for the week. Tommy Paul. He was playing really well. Mm, it was a classic. Was. It was exactly the story of Indian Wells of Miami. You know, it's the same. He's playing really well, and then, as you said, he he gets to a match that he can't necessarily just win, and. All but this that th- th- this is this is what his ego can't handle. I don't think playing really well, being good form, being you know good, sh- relatively good shape, being in a good place, and just not being good enough. I think that's why. I think that's why you know there's so much blame being apportioned around. Uh, so that was ATP Houston. Anything else from there? Oh, Riley Apelka um, dived headfirst into a child-sized paddling pool uh, in order to celebrate victory. Are, are all paddling pools child-sized? Well, when Riley Apelka's in them, they are. They yeah. look it. Yeah. I just think, as a concept, they're, oh, they're right. a children's thing, aren't they? Um, good question, Matt. <laughs> uh, yeah, quite possibly. It might have been an adult-sized paddling pool, though, but just made to look True. child-sized by the <laughs> by the presence of Riley Apelka in it. Um, apparently, the uh, the... the the, the 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 club where the tournament is held does have a, a swimming pool, but it was under reconstruction. So not not to miss out on a photo opportunity, <laughs> they inflated a paddling pool and uh, got Riley Pelka to sort of Jürgen Klinsmann style slide <laughs> into it. Uh, footage available on the internet uh, if you would uh, if you would like to do. It. Also uh, also from Houston, footage available on the internet. Some. Um, some little social media videos that that Blair Henley, friend of the pod, hello Blair, um, has been doing with the players and and in Charleston too. Actually, I think I think it must have been Nick McCarvel in, in Charleston doing doing that portion of the videos. Anyway, asking you know little fun questions to the players, and one of them was, "What's your sense of direction like?" And the answer that Sam Query gives <laughs> sounds like a threat. Sounds and looks like a threat. Yeah, Sam Query's coming to find you. <laughs> he says, I'm a bloodhound. Uh, I can go to a city for once for one night, go to a restaurant, and 10 years later, I will be able to go back to that city and hunt you down and find you, he says, <laughs> with a sort of dead-eyed stare into camera. Absolutely terrifying. And, and yet in the same video, he also says that, he's, that he lost his wedding ring and never found it. Mm. So... You're not putting your skills to good use, Sam. Very, very confusing Sam Query content from the week. A um, couple of other events we had going on last week. We had a win for Tatiana Maria at the WTA event in Bogota. Two qualifiers in the final. First WTA final between two players ranked outside the top 100. She beat Laura Pigossi 6-3-4-6-6-2 in the final there. Outside of the top two hundred, did think, I say one hundred? Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at the number two hundred in front of me. There's a disconnect between brain, <laughs> brain and mouth. And and Pagossi had never even won a WTA main draw match before. I knew the name, and the reason I I knew the name is because she won bronze at the Olympics last year in the doubles with uh, Luisa Stefani for Brazil. 
they got in really late and they had an amazing run. I think they beat Kudamatova and Vesnina in that bronze medal match and they were just they were just great scenes at the end. You know, they were both so happy to have won bronze, but I hadn't quite realised that she'd never had never had the tour results to go with that, certainly in singles. So yeah, pretty pretty great stories on both sides there, Tatiana Maria and Pagossi. She'd um, she'd never previously won a WTA main draw match, Pagossi. Wild. That really is wild, isn't it? And Maria, the first mother of two this century to lift a WTA trophy. She gave birth to her first daughter, Charlotte, in 2013. Her second daughter, Cecilia, just over a year ago in April 2021. And returned to action following her second maternity leave last August. That's on the WTA website. So, um, brilliant story in Bogota. Uh, On the men's side, there was a title in Marrakesh for... Wait for it, folks. David Goffin. Remember him? (laughs) When do you think we last talked about David Goffin on the podcast? Well, there was a stat going around that it was his first title in just over a year. What? Which which I think was meant to to imply that it had been a really long time. That was way more recently than I thought it was. When was his last (laughs) title? So his last title, I think, was uh, Montpellier, maybe, last year. Oh, okay. But... I think well, since then he's barely won a match. He's he'd really struggled. He'd been in the been in the wilderness basically, not winning matches. I hadn't even I don't even think about David Goffin anymore. No. Do you know he's only thirty one? I would have thought he was thirty four, thirty five. I mean thirty one is nothing for a tennis player these days. We could have years of talking about David Goffin. <laughs> he had a good Davis Cup weekend about a month ago. I watched him in that and I think I think he needed that. He loves that competition and He's always performed well in Davis Cup, even when he's perhaps been slumping on on the tour. And perhaps that's just given him a little boost because he beat some proper clay quarters. Carbias Baena, uh, Demir Juma, Pablo Anduja, who was the second favourite for the title Mm. in 2022. After Felix Auger Aliassime, who lost to the eventual finalist, Alex Molkan, I mean, obviously, Molkan capitalising on that victory brilliantly, but that this is a run of bad losses for I'm Felix Auger-Elysium. I'm very confused. Yeah, I, I think we still probably need more data because I still think his start to the season was so good that he's got a lot of credit in the bank, but it's it's declining at the moment. Yeah, I'm not going to do a Bedosa and keep picking him, I don't think. I haven't made a Monte Carlo prediction, but I don't think it's going to be Felix Auger Elysium. No, and I don't, I don't think he loves clay. I think no. in theory he should. Like you feel like that big top spin ground stroke should like clay, but actually he's had really good results on grass. He likes quicker, mm. slicker surfaces, I think. Okay, well, there's a lot of clay to come. <laughs> so, oh dear. Um a few other quite significant bits and bobs, actually, from the week that was before we turn our attention to, to Monte Carlo. Um, the ATP has announced that they're going to be introducing stricter punishment for on-court uh, misconduct. Um, the ATP told its players that it was also reviewing its penalties for serious violations and repeat offenders. This uh, is from a BBC article um, and it references the fines that Nick Kyrgios received after his outbursts in both Indian Wells and Miami. Of course, Alexander Zverev being thrown out of uh, the Mexican Open after 
very aggressively hitting the umpire's chair with his racket. Incidentally, he's very ever mellow. Last scene in Acapulco, um, in the scene of that uh, horrible outburst from Zverev after their defeat, they've been given a wild card into Monte Carlo this week uh, as a doubles pairing. Not not sure how we all feel. Well, actually, I'm sure. Exactly how I feel about that. I'm sure how I feel about that. Um, In a letter that was uh, seen by Reuters, the ATP, in a letter to, uh, to the players this was, said the incidents shine a bad light on our sport. Effectively, immediately, and as we head into the clay court swing, the ATP officiating team has been directed to take a stricter stance in judging violations of the Code of Conduct. This is the words of ATP chairman Andrea Galdenzi said, additionally, we are also undertaking a review of the code as well as the disciplinary processes to ensure that it provides appropriate and up-to-date penalties for serious violations and repeat offenders. This is a really, really good thing, isn't it? And I think uh, a review of the code and how it's applied is essential now, given the punishment that was handed out to Alexander Zverev that tied their hands in terms of punishments for lesser offences. I think so if that's if that's what the current code of conduct if that's how the current code of conduct reviews that Alexander's very offence then that code of conduct needs revision urgently. Yes, I agree. I I just hope it comes with some some kind of empowering of umpires from the ATP mm. and I don't know public public support really I mm. would say when they do interpret the code of conduct in this new way and and are more strict because there will be backlash from players and so often you see umpires just have to take a load of shit really from players on the court and not get any any kind of public support and players can use social media to continue to hound them after the match and umpires are just left hung out to dry during during these incidents so so I hope that the ATP sort of publicly supports their umpires in in backing them when they make these mm. decisions because I think that's important. Otherwise, otherwise they might be you know they might quite quite understandably be hesitant mm. to pick players up for stuff. Yeah, and for all those players out there that are calling for you know the quality of officiating to improve, rightly or wrongly, um, the way to ensure quality officiating is not to make it the most undesirable profession imaginable which i feel like it it currently is i mean yes who would want to be an umpire right now yeah um so yes i share that hope um but that's a a really positive announcement from the atp we've also had um a rather different announcement from joe wilfred songer who is going to retire at the french open this year he's going to play up to and including the french open wonderful place for him to retire um look frankly he hasn't he hasn't been a factor on, on tour for a few years, has he? Again, sort of, when was the last time we really spoke about Joe Wilfred Songer? Um, but I think my favourite memory of him did come at the French Open. I think it was that win over Kei Nishikori back in 2015 um, and the way he celebrated that win on that Philippe Chatrier court. I mean, there there are some Wimbledon moments as well that really stick out for me for Songer. But I think if I had to pick one, it would be that that moment in 2015 um and yeah i think that'll be quite emotional when he retires in in paris yeah it will be i was i was there that i day. was just gonna say were you there for that but the last time i did a were you there for that 
you absolutely weren't there for that. So I, I backed off. <laughs> no, I was, I was at the airport last time you asked yes. where I was. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, but this day I, I was on the court. It was, it was the match where some of the stadium yes. fell down on, on some spectators and there was a big break in play. And that, that was a break which helped Nishikori get back into it and really made it a contest. But the atmosphere that day when Songa won has, has, has always stayed with me. That has kind of been my favourite Songa memory as well. And as you said, people will talk about beating Federer from two sets down at Wimbledon or that incredible run he had in in Toronto where he beat Federer, Murray and Djokovic to win the title. Uh, obviously his Australian Open final run against Nadal as well. But, but yeah, watching Songa in France with everyone in that stadium pulling for him was just a perfect example of what Songa could do as a tennis player. He was he was magnetic the way he played. That that combination of power and touch I think people loved and that celebration that he had was so iconic. You were waiting for it after the match that, that he would jump around pointing kind of pointing at himself, le- leaping into the air. Those those were special Songa moments and, and that match sort of absolutely epitomized him and what he could do and it has been a bit of a sad end to his career. I think, I think I actually thought he would have retired by now. He's he's had a lot of health issues. He's got, hasn't he got sickle cell, sickle cell anemia, anemia yeah. which makes I think makes travel in particular mm. very difficult for him. Um, and he's had some, yeah, just some physical issues as well. So he's he's sort of hung on the last few years. But I, I hope he gets I hope he gets an amazing send off in Paris because mm. he really deserves that. He's been he's been a big player the last 15 years. He's brought a lot to he's brought a lot to men's tennis. It's the beginning of an end, isn't mm. it? The end of the golden generation of of men's tennis that have been gold-plated rather than gold maybe that's even too generous re- relative to to what was expected of them 15 20 years ago. We are you know, in the next few years, maybe even sooner than that, going to see the retirements of Guillermo Fils, Richard Gasquet, Gilles Simon. Um, I don't know what to do with Luca Puy in this situation, but I'll throw I'll throw his name in there. Um, he's only twenty eight years old, but um, yeah, I mean, it isn't a factor in tennis anymore. But um, goodness me, if you told French tennis fans fifteen years ago, none of them would win a slam. And uh, and only Songa would reach a slam final and just the one. Mm. Wow. Yeah. And they haven't got the generation following them. Like Spain at the moment, are just everyone in Spain is just rubbing their hands together because for a while you were wondering where are the next Spanish players because you had Nadal, you had Lopez, you had Ferrer, but then there was a gap. Now they've got Carlos Alcaraz and France have got, again, of course they've, They've still got depth. They've got Umber, they've got Gaston, they've got Rinderkanesh, they've got uh, Bonzi. You know, they've got players, but they don't They don't seem to quite be as good as that group were. As you said, all, all, all the names there are top 10 players. And yet, they're, even though they're top 10 players, there's a feeling of, they didn't, they didn't, mm. they didn't quite do what we, what we thought they were going to, what we hoped they would. But do. maybe, maybe Matt, maybe Gelmolfis still will. Mm. I only need one. I only need one. I mean, he has actually. <laughs> uh, before we 
big up his chances of winning just that one Grand Slam too much. He he has withdrawn from Monte Carlo. He's not going to be able to to start his clay court season until at least uh, Madrid. He says, I'm pl- planning to be back in time for Madrid. Um, he's got a foot issue and doctors have advised him to rest. Um, but because we just love to talk about the the hope and the possibility of Gael Monfils, um David this week has uh, been speaking to Yannick Noah, as he is wont to do every every sort of 18 months or so. <laughs> David, David just has an electric two-hour-long conversation with Yannick Noah. Now, the main, the main purpose uh, of that conversation, I'll try not to spoil it here, was to, to gather content for, uh, for our upcoming um, Tennis Relived series ahead of, uh, ahead of Roland Garros, which will be available on our, for, for Friends of the Tennis podcast. But, you know, it would be rude not to pick the brains of Yannick Noah about all things, about all things tennis while you've got him on, on the line, especially as it's taken so many attempts to get him on the line. David, I think on average he gets stood up three times before he actually tracks down Yannick Noah. And he always, it's always worth it in the end, but it's it's a saga. Yeah, and it's like every time he gets stood up, it, like, it, it comes with interest. Like, <laughs> Yannick Noah will, will give you an extra 10 minutes for every time he's left you hanging. So yeah. that's why all these calls with him end yeah. up being so long and amazing. Um, and look, he... He just had some really incredible things to say about Gael Feast and uh, we listened to them back and we thought well if we don't if we don't play you this now then it'll probably never see the light of day um and it probably deserves it definitely deserves to to see the light of day these are these are the thoughts of Yannick Noah on Gael Feast and whether he can win just that one slam Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. 
Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering Tennis Podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Well, I think Gael never in his career worked for two months nonstop. Never. I'm talking about work. It's not that a guy just said, I want to be in the top 15 pairs in the world for another three years. That's, a, that's different. But if he wants to win a Grand Slam, which I believe in a way he could, physically he's fresh, technically can do it. But the problem is, I do not believe because he never did it. Was, is that he never, he has never been a tennis player 100% for more than a couple of weeks. That's what I believe. And, and it's not easy. And, and it's not a critique. It's not judgmental. I love Gael. I think he's the f- greatest, one of the two or three players, most fun players on the tour when he's on. So, when I say that, it's because I always try to get my message across in many ways, you know, through you, through calls that we had sometimes. Sometimes I send him like a little message on Instagram. Some, I had him, you know, I coached him for one game, you know, at, on Davis Cup. I'm trying because I'm like, I would love for him to, to win a Grand Slam. Because if he wins a Grand Slam, like winning seven matches, this... I can see a build up around him. I can see the energy that could be around him. And I could see the, and I can picture the joy, you know, not only of him, but whatever he represents, which is the showtime tennis, you know. And, uh, but he has to work. He has to work, you know. And, w- and winning is not just making one great game, it's like winning a match where you don't play so well. And then when you're on, you win, you, you beat anyone, but you have to be prepared to win seven matches in a row in five sets. And for that, you have to prepare yourself physically and mentally. You cannot do that just being ready 10 days at that level. Like Rafa is, is used to it because he's been doing this like 10 months a year for the last 15 years. So for him to turn it on, is kind of, I'm not saying easy, but he's used to it. Same for the top guys, right? But Gael never did it. Gael never did it. There's always something for two, three days that he has to do something else or is concentrating on something else or being excited about something else or being depressed about something, whatever it is. Just two months. If he does that, he'd better do it in the next couple of years because that time flies. So, he could, Like he could start today and win the French. <laughs> that would be a good thing. You know, it starts today, you win the French, but two year, two months. So that's what I believe. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it too. I, I always think, you know, it's interesting that you, you found that balance that one year and obviously you, you contended other years as well, but you did, you, you loved the show. You loved the, 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 the excitement 
the same way that he does on the court and you make people happy in the crowd and all that sort of thing but but you still won as well you managed to 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 do the same is that because of the that you realized that two months was required is that it was there a, a moment that you that it dropped Gael is playing the way I played after I won the French. After I won the French, I never found a real purpose. I was playing, I was practicing, but it was not this thing of life and death about working on my destiny, a, a real deep purpose. I had that when I won the French Open. I don't care about the way I played, but the, my face, I, had, I, I, was, I had a purpose. I was not just practicing playing tennis. I had a, I was at a purpose, and once I won the French, I achieved that. And then I've, and not, and I never after as a player found the purpose. And then I became number three in the world, and then I won some tournaments. But it was not the same. And that's the way Gael is playing. He doesn't play with his purpose. I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it. I see the showman I was when I was twenty-eight, just playing, enjoying, you know, winning some match, some tournaments too. But not this purpose, not this urgency of, hey, if I don't do that, I miss my career. I miss my life. You know, I, I, I don't see that in Gael. And I see the Yannick in the 20. People tend to remember this side of me, some people, when I was like, you know, more of a showman. But before that, I was not a showman before the French Open, before I won the French Open. I became a showman after because I didn't have the same purpose. I achieved my goal and I never found another goal. I never had this goal that, you know, this thing that makes you wake up in the morning saying, okay, I, this is why I'm doing it. I could wake up in the morning, go practice five hours, but it was not the same thing. And this is the way he plays. He goes through the motion. He goes through the motion. He plays well, he wins. Play, he doesn't play well, he loses. Comes to the press. Oh, I didn't have a good day. Before the French Open, when I lost the match, I was crying, man. <laughs> I was hurt, you know, but hurt in my soul. You know, he doesn't have that. And he could. He could. But the interesting thing when he says, I want a French, I want to win a Grand Slam, the second question, which is the most important, would be, why do you want to win a Grand Slam? And I would be very interested to hear the answer that he gives if he has one. I don't believe he has one on the why he wants to win a Grand Slam. And if he does have a clear answer to that, that would be like a big step, but I doubt he has it. What was your answer to that question, if somebody had said to you why? No, you know, I, I come from France, you know. I come from France as I grew up as a player, and Cameroon, of course, but as I grew up, all around me was about how French people cannot make it how French people always get to the finals and never makes it. All. So very early I said, okay, I'm going to be the one that's going to make this happen. Win. I, want to, I, did, I wanted to win. One, to prove to the whole environment around me since I was a child, all I heard in soccer, in football, we're good, but we lose in the finals. You know, you know we were like, we were finding philosophy about how to lose beautifully. There's a lot of books about how to lose beautifully. And I didn't like that. There was something about me. I didn't like that. I wanted, I wanted to be different, I guess. And I wanted to win. But it was that I won in France, 
in Paris with all every with everybody around me, all the family, every the whole people that I wanted to prove that a French can win, not me, but a French can win. This is this is what I wanted. Well, not just Yannick's going to win. No, I wanted to prove that me with my dreads, whatever I represented for people, but people like us, French, African, we can win. And that was deep in, so I had that. And once I did it, well, actually I felt depressed for like six months. You know, I was depressed. So now everybody talk about depression. Back in the day, nobody understood what I was going through. But now, you know, a lot of people talk about this mental situation of being a tennis professional. So, but back in the days, of course, they didn't get it. So I was like, I felt like kind of a loneliness first as a person. And for me to even go back on a tennis court, I decided to play, to have a family and have kids and just play tennis. But it was totally different. I, I proved myself and the people that I wanted to prove to that we can win as French people. Same way with Davis Cup. When we won the Davis Cup, it was the same. We didn't win for 50 years. What the, what the fuck? 50 years? So I said, okay, I'm going to try to prove that we can win. So we won that time. And then I said, okay, I think I understand. I got something. And we tried it a few times. And we won a few times. But, but that was like the purpose. It's important to have like a, a purpose. Especially for us, like in France. We don't have a... In France, like a... We don't have a culture of winning. It's not like in the States or other countries. We don't have a culture of winning. You know, sports is, is fun. You know, for, but when you are like in other countries, like, you know, I have American, my kids are from the States. So when you go to, for sports to win, it's important. You try to win. Us, it's like more of a leisure kind of vibe, you know. So sometimes I see some of my players and some of the players I watch now, French guys, they, they're just happy to be there. It's cool. Which is okay, you know, no judgment. But I mean, once you decide and you declare like uh, Gael or Luca, Luca or Joe Tsonga, they said, I want to win. Joe, Joe Tsonga said uh, one day when he lost in the finals at the Australian Open, like his first final, he said, no, I don't want to win one. I want to win many. Wow. You want to win many Grand Slams? Eh? And look what happened, you know. It's hard. And uh, for that, not only that you have to have a purpose, but you have to have the people around you understanding. And we don't have a culture of winning in France. We don't have that. We don't have that. Mm. So it's tough. But two months, two months, Gail. Start today. <laughs> every day, every night. All the thing, all, all you think about is playing. The sleep, every ball you hit with a purpose, really. Thinking about the French every moment. You got to play Nadal, man. This is no, you know, this is serious. You want to beat Rafa? <laughs> Rafa is taking a break right now. So when Rafa is coming, he's going to be ready. He might win a, lose a set or two in the first rounds. But, you know, coming the quarter, he's going to start playing again, you know. So you better be ready. So it's a big deal. Winning a French... A winning Grand Slam for this generation is a big deal. Not like us. It was easier for us. Easier. I'd say easy, but easier. Now you have to beat these guys. These guys are playing well. Man. So, yeah. And I, I, I always felt, even though he did great at the U.S. Open, for some reason, I always felt that Gael could win the French. I always felt that Gael could win the French. I, can, I, I saw him play some 
great matches, but it always comes short because physically there's always a little something, which it comes because of the preparation. Yeah, two two months, two months. What is like? Yeah, it's perfect timing. We April, May, ready to go. Or maybe just May, <laughs> given that he's got a foot injury that's taking him out for the whole of April. Um, I mean, it sounds like he's like us, Yannick Noah. He there's a there's a bit of him that believes, but there's also a very rational, practical portion of him. I mean, in terms of the finding a reason thing, can the reason? I mean, I realise. Sorry, Matt, you're not the person to ask this question to. <laughs> Yannick Noah probably is. Can, can, can the reason not just be, I really, 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 really want to win a Grand Slam? <laughs> I'd have thought so. <laughs> and I think that is now Morfice's reason. Yeah. I think, I think, look, I found that, I found that analysis absolutely fascinating from Yannick Noah. And Yannick Noah knows Gail Monfils well. You know, he's worked with him. He's, he's got an insight into his mindset. He's been his Davis Cup captain but I think what we've been saying is there has been a shift in Monfils mm. in the last few months, especially the start of this year. And there has been, I don't know, a realisation that he doesn't want to be a highlights real player, that he wants to win Yeah, one time. I just need it one time. Oof. Need it. It wasn't want it. It was mm. need it. And gosh, I mean, it's kind of hard because of this injury now. But Yannick Noah saying that in, in Yannick Noah tones... Has, has a way of making you think that it's possible. Guillermo Fries relived coming your way in a few years. Inclu- we, we've, got, we've got the audio already lined up. <laughs> um, yeah, we will we'll continue to dream while, uh, while it's still a possibility. Um, in terms of injuries, we've had post-surgery uh, social media posts this week from Daniel Medvedev, who's had his hernia operation, um, from Matteo Berrettini, who's had that hand operation. Um, but he is out of Monte Carlo, Madrid and Rome. He said, it's crucial I do not put time pressure on my recovery process. Withdrawing from these events, particularly Rome, is an extremely tough decision. However, it's the right one to ensure many more years of competing at the highest level for the biggest trophies. That's got to be gutting for Berrettini, really gutting, especially given what happened in Turin at the end of last year. Oh, I feel for him. Yeah, I was thinking exactly the same thing. He is the best Italian player at the moment and he's he's missing the chance to have, you know, events in Italy when he's the best player and that just must be so gutting for him. Happened in Turin, he can't play, he can't play Rome now. Yeah, it's it's a real real shame for him, and, and and we saw how hard he took it missing missing out in Turin last year mid mid match. He had to retire, didn't he? Um, yeah, and it's also you wonder what the knock on effect is in terms of maybe less so the French Open, but the grass court season mm. is is around the corner, and he's got points to defend. That's that's the surface where he has an edge over mm. a lot of the other players who are trying to win a slam you know he's better on grass than a lot of them and if he's not at his best for that portion of the season that would be another thing he's missed out on so yeah really really bad timing for him so no more feasts no Berrettini in the Monte Carlo draw but don't worry folks the draw did not disappoint Carlos Alcaraz and returning to the tour Novak Djokovic are in the same quarter they both need to win two matches to get there 
um, because of course they both have a bye in the opening round. Um, ditch buys, everyone. We've decided buys need to go. Casper uh, Rude is also in that top half, uh, whereas defending champion Stefano Sitsipas, Felix Auger Eliassim and his losing streak, Alexander Zverev, Andrei Rublev, they're all in the bottom half of the draw. But really, we know where. We know where eyeballs are looking in that draw. I mean, Djokovic has got to get past Alejandro Davidovich Fakina in his opener, um, which isn't easy to come in cold and face. I know Davidovich Fakina has done very little since the French Open last year, but with clay back beneath his feet um, and already with a win under his belt, because, of course, he didn't get a bye in the opening round, that's it's a tough, cold opener for Djokovic, I would say. It is, yeah. I think they played last year on clay and Djokovic won pretty easily. I think they've practiced together before, so he knows Davidovic Fakina's game. But still, Djokovic hasn't played for a couple of months. It's it's a different scenario. It's, it's not easy. I think Taylor Fritz is in that section as mm. well. Um, we know that Alcaraz starts against Korda, who got a who got a win today, and you would definitely favour Alcaraz on on clay in that match. But again, that's that's not easy either. Gosh, I hope it happens, Alcaraz Djokovic. I, I, I was honestly really excited when I saw that draw. I just thought, right, I want to see that match. I want to see it here. I want to see it, you know, all of these clay court weeks. I want to see Alcaraz playing Djokovic and playing Nadal um, when when Nadal is back because it's the most exciting thing in, in men's tennis at the moment, Alcaraz. And I want to see him up against these best, best players. And because I think he'll learn quickly as well. And I kind of want him to be mm. ready for playing them on, on bigger stages. Mm. So yeah, I, I, I hope it happens. And same time, I think these events now take on more meaning for Djokovic as well. You know, we, we saw him in Monte Carlo last year lose, lose to Dan Evans. And, you know, with all due respect to Dan Evans, his brilliant performance that day, it was a slightly kind of subdued Djokovic that we saw in a lot of the lead-up events on clay. Suddenly, these events really matter for Djokovic because he, he, he needs matches. He needs to play them. He needs to win. So it would be a... You feel like it would be a pretty full throttle Djokovic against an always full throttle Alcaraz, and it's oh, it's an enticing prospect. It's a yes, please, isn't it? Yeah. All eyes on that is what the fans want to see. Um, speaking of what the fans want to see, Ugo and Bear. <laughs> Some fans. Mad. Young fans. Well, a queue of a, fans. A, a, a queue of fans to. Well, it was like he was his own Madame Two Swords model. <laughs> Or something. What it, high on the list of weirdest weird, things you've ever seen? Yeah, really, really high. Could you try and describe it for people that haven't haven't caught this on on the internet? So Ugo and Bear was put in a room, <laughs> not even a particularly nice room. Yeah, it looked like someone's office. Yeah, or something. Yeah, it's not a great background for all these pictures that people are getting. <laughs> and basically, he was sort of. He was put behind. He was cordoned off. Oh, he, he, was cordoned. <laughs> he was put in an area in a room. Yeah, and one by one, children <laughs> went up to have a picture with him, but socially distanced. So they were standing, I don't know, about a metre and a half, probably, in front of them bare. Everyone was awkwardly posing for a photo, and the child was moved along, and the next child came in, and Umbear just 
stood there with a grin on his face for I don't know how many kids there were. A lot. About 40, I think. How many of those 40 kids do you think knew what they were queuing for? I think they knew it was a tennis player. (laughs) (laughs) Um Maybe it sounds, but look, you just—you've got to see it. It's so deeply weird, and bless Hugo and Bear for oh, just—it it was weird and for styling it out because, yeah, I think I think I might have refused to <laughs> to do that. Um, so that is Monte Carlo. Uh, it's 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 on the screen in front of us now. Stan Wawrinka is in action. In fact, Stan Wawrinka is serving for the opening set against Alexander Bublik. That would be a an uplifting story if. Uh, if Stamborink could get some wins and just look a look a bit like him his old self, to be honest. I have no expectations of this comeback whatsoever. So anything for me would be a would be a Warinka bonus. Um last two bits of business. Simona Halep is going to be coached by Patrick Moratoglu, Matt. How do you react to that news? I think my reaction was what? <laughs> yeah, same. It was really surprising, wasn't it? That announcement. For, well, for me, it was. Extremely surprising. They don't feel like a personality mesh. Mm. Which, you know, maybe sometimes that's what players need. Someone different to them. But look, it, it was surprising for lots of reasons. Obviously, Serena is is a big part of this as well. Also, Halep's comments early on in the year about how she was actually embracing not having a coach. You know, she she said that, didn't she? She said, I'm, I'm really trying to do it on my own, do my own thing, see what I can learn about myself. Just feels like that didn't last very long. And, you know, m- maybe that isn't surprising, but I, I thought she might just give it a bit more of a go on her own. I wasn't expecting her to announce a new coach quite so quickly after those comments. Um and then obviously the the whole Serena situation makes makes it all quite confusing as well because that's all been quite vague and lots of lots of teases. Mm. Yeah, we oh, we won't get into those teases, will we? I don't think. No, I mean, it was she... just, it was just on the same day that we had Patrick Moratoglu announced that he was working with Simona Halep due to conversations he'd had with Serena mm. that he said gave him. Gave him a freedom, is that the word? Freedom or time like and space yeah. in the short term, anyway, to work with another player. And I think most people were reading into that. Well, Serena's not coming back anytime soon, then. Mm. And then on the same day, Serena puts out a video in which she says she's she's been training for Wimbledon and is and is hoping to come back. I mean, I think Serena does do that sort of thing. Mm. She knows what she's doing. I wouldn't read too much into it. I think she said before she would play events that she hasn't played. But the whole thing was was quite confusing on that day. And she also, a, a reminder, um, and this is a repeat of, of, of content from our most recent um, Friends pod, a, uh, a listener questions podcast that, that went up last week um, when we were asked about uh, which of Federer, Serena and Venus we would see again, if any. Um, and you reminded us of that quote from Serena at the Australian Open last year, what did she say? She said, if I ever said farewell, I wouldn't tell anyone, mm. which I think about that a lot. Mm. Mm. It's an important line, I think. Anyway. Um... Is there a Pelkas on the telly suddenly? <laughs> <laughs> oh, did they show the break of serve? They didn't. No, okay. So we still we still can't fill you in on that, folks. Um, 
yeah homework for you if you really really want to know what happened there uh, unfortunately last uh, bit of news to to cover off not much to say about this really other than the really oh sad news really of boris becker uh, being found guilty of four charges under the insolvency act in the uk um relating to his 2017 bankruptcy this from uh BBC News website. Former World Number One was accused of hiding millions of pounds worth of assets to avoid paying his debts. Declared bankrupt in June 2017 over an unpaid loan of more than three million pounds. Uh, he was acquitted of a further 20 charges at Southwark Crown Court on Friday. Uh, cleared of nine counts of failing to hand over trophies and medals from his career, including two Wimbledon men's singles trophies. Um, he told reporters outside the court he would not be commenting on the verdict. Uh, he was found guilty of transferring hundreds of thousands of pounds from his business account, uh, business account after his bankruptcy, failing to declare a property in Germany and concealing about €825,000 worth of debt. He could face a jail sentence carrying a minimum term, sorry, maximum term of seven years for each count. Um, and... The sentencing hearing is set for April the 29th. So we'll update you uh, on that really sad situation um, once the sentencing has been handed down. Sorry to end on a on a bum note. Sam Varink has won the uh, opening set. That's a that's a better note. Sorry, Biblic, but that's that's nice to see. Yeah, let's let's focus on that. Mm. Yes, we have a weekly mascot, folks, and it is Luca, an 11-year-old English cream golden retriever owned by Cynthia. Why am I not looking at a picture of Luca? I am looking at a picture of Luca. Matt <laughs> held up his laptop just in time. Luca is lovely, smiling on a beach, uh, wearing... Is that a bandana? I do approve. It is a bandana. Mm. Love that. Love a dog on a beach. They always just look so joyful. Thank Tongue you. out. Thank you, Luca. And thank you for Cynthia for bringing Luca into our lives. Uh, we have our mascots. David has Darwin. Uh, I've got Carter. Matt's got Gerald the cat. Billy Jean has Billy Jean King and Alana Kloss. Uh, we have our two executive producers, Kyle Weingartner and Chris Albert Lee. And we have shout outs. We have Adam Maundrell from Sydney. Oh, okay. Adam. It's not a very Tennessee name, Adam, is it? No. I immediately thought of Adam Scott, the golfer, because mm. we're still in sort of master's mode. Yeah, and he's Australian. And he's Australian, yeah. I don't think there are any tennis Adams. Let us know, folks. I cannot that think would, of that's any. A, that's a that's strange a, anomaly, isn't that's it? Some, it's like... It's like the fact that there are too many K's in tennis, mm. not enough Adams. Mikhail Kukushkin, responsible for so many of them. <laughs> um, thank you very much, Adam, for your support. We also have Alison Copley from Norwich. Oh, hello. My my brother went to university in Norwich. And I'm going to see the Killers at Carrow Road oh, yes, later this year. Yeah. Yes, and, and Fulham will never play Norwich again. No, no. We're in a purgatory he's, land. He's mentioned Fulham again, folks. It's <laughs> annoying. Uh, thank you very much, Alice. There are tennis Alisons, aren't there? Yes. Van Oytbank. Van Oytbank. Any others? No. Okay. Thank you very much. 
Alison, for your support. Uh, it is much appreciated. And finally today, we have a birthday shout-out, a Ooh. surprise birthday shout-out for Samantha. And that is courtesy of Samantha's partner, Andrew. Andrew says, love from Maggie, our nine-month-old baby, Pixie, our British bulldog, uh, Cadle, our border colleague, Jack Russellcross, Moon, our house pony, and Andrew himself. And Samantha and Andrew are in Australia. So happy birthday, Samantha. What is a house pony? (laughs) Called Moon. Seriously, Matt, what is a house pony? Um, 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 stand by, folks. If anyone's still listening, stand by while I Google house pony. Um, uh, a little town ride on pony available at Aldi has just come up. Also, though, a picture of meet the ponies who live in their owners' homes. And there's a picture of a woman sat by a fire in an armchair accompanied by a pony. Wow. Hello, Samantha. (laughs) Happy birthday. Please get in touch and tell us more about Moon, your house pony. And if photos are available of all of your animals together, house pony included, please, please send those to us. But most importantly, happy birthday. Um, Thank you for being a fan of the tennis podcast uh thank you for listening uh, we'll be back next monday with a weekly show we'll also be back for friends of the pod on thursday with another listener question special there are some comments about uh, david's holiday and tan that <laughs> won't have aged well folks i i told you that i didn't like recording podcasts mm. that go out a week a week later due to unforeseen events which might make them Mm. uh, out of date. I promise it's a great pod and uh, well worth listening to, well worth becoming a friend of the pod if you haven't already. (laughs) But even if David makes it to Croatia, he he won't have a tan at that time. Not by Thursday. Not by Thursday. So those uh, those comments are unfortunately out of date. But do listen anyway. (laughs) Do become a friend of the pod. Do subscribe to the newsletter. uh, Leave us an Apple Podcasts review. Do all that jazz. And we will see you for another weekly show next Monday. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.